Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Uh. Yo. Uh. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Welcome everyone to another edition of AEW Unrestricted, Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards with you as always, hey Aubrey. Hello, how are you Tony? I'm alright, how you doing? Okay, I'm on like my third cup of coffee, so it's going to be a good day. Well, uh, as we're recording this, of course, uh, you are out of the West Coast. So it's around, uh, it's early, let's say early morning on the uh, West Coast for you. It is still dark out. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> as a matter of fact, we just, uh, we have been uh, working the uh, the West Coast for quite a while in the month of January and even uh, in the month of February. So uh, we understand your pain. Oh, yeah. Now you do. Those six and a half hour flights back for all those Orlando people. It's like, hey, 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 feeling. Yeah, starting the um, shows at five o'clock in the afternoon is pretty cool, but you got to pay for it on the other end. Right. But our crowds have been awesome. It's nice being in new areas. It's nice being in new arenas and just seeing like the AEW fans have been waiting so long for us to get out there. It's, It's nice that it's finally happening. We have with us our guests are Arn and Brock Anderson. Of course, uh, Brock, one of our up-and-coming young stars in AEW, and Arn Anderson is obviously a legend in this business on many levels. Arn, how you doing, brother? Fantastic, Tony. Thank you guys for having us. We appreciate it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock, you doing okay, bud? Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you all for having us today. Yeah, you're welcome. I have a, I have a long and storied history with Arn. We, I don't know if we're, we got so much. I don't know if we'll get into that, but... Uh, Recently, we have seen now, Brock, you and Flying Brian together, and, and this uh, kind of started out on uh, on Dark. Arn, you said that you, you thought these two young men had could have some chemistry together. Arn, talk about that. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they both have individual talents. You know, Brian reminds me of his dad the more I'm around him. And poor old Brock, God Almighty, ain't no doubt in that one's mine. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes when you have individual achievement in this business, it's great. But there's a place near and dear to my heart, obviously, for tag teams. Because a tag match, in my mind, if it's a good tag match, the right guys are the champions, the right guys are the challengers. You got enough time. You got enough ring time and all that stuff. 
nothing should ever be able to follow that in my mind. There's just something about uh, cutting a ring off and, and having a tag match where it now becomes a two-on-one that's a lost art. really is. If there's anything that I've learned at AEW, it's definitely the art of tag team wrestling. And it's something that I've been super appreciative of. Brock, kind of sticking to that topic, I know that you've done a lot of tag team wrestling while you've been at AEW tagging with Lee Johnson before he became an asshole. Right. And now yeah. tagging with Brian. What do you enjoy about being part of tag teams? Um, I think with both tag teams so far, I've looked out that sometimes you see tag teams and they don't work because you got two guys who have the exact same style. And it's just, it becomes very predictable, very understanding. So I think with me and Lee, before he just called an audible, went his own way, still ain't talked to him. I don't know what that's about. Jerk. And now with Brian, me and Brian have tagged a couple times outside the company. And in those couple matches, we found that we have different styles where I'm more the ground pound, no nonsense. He can come out of no, he's a wild card. There's no other way to say it. You don't know what's coming. There's a screw loose somewhere. He ain't working with a full deck. <laughs> so you'd never know what's coming. So I think that will be our formula for success. You could call it, I'm deliberate. He's crazy. We can call it deliberately crazy. I love that. So Arn, you were, you were known obviously in your years in the ring as uh, one of the greatest workers the four horsemen were legendary, but you also had some of the greatest uh, promos ever. Now, do you talk to Brock about uh, working on his promo skills and how important that is? Well, believe it or not, I have not suggested even to Brock anything to say on his promos. Oh. And the first time, Tony, is when before StarCast in uh, Nashville, we did that docu-series for Conrad's show, right? Right. That was the first time I had ever heard Brock do any discussion at all, promo or otherwise, about the wrestling business. And I was sitting in the room with David Crockett, Conrad, the guys that were producing it, and Brock went on this diatribe, pretty much given the history of Jim Crockett Promotions. And I'm kind of glancing around the room, and their jaws are starting to drop. And even though he's my kid, and I'm just going to say it, when it was all said and done, I went and lo I looked right at Conrad and went, Jesus. Mm. I had no idea. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth a trip back to watch it. Right. Because that's the first time he's ever had a wrestling, quote, promo, quote, anything or interview about the wrestling business. And I couldn't believe how well-spoken he was. I, I couldn't believe how articulate he was. And it's easy to be funny and be a smart ass. I mastered that decades ago. Right. I'm good at that. Yes, you are. And you're also <laughs> tough, which means we can't even call you on it. No. And I just sat there when it was all said and done. I went, wow. And Conrad, same thing. David Crockett, same thing. You know, I just think that um, speaking to the audience instead of cutting a promo on them or at them or talking at them, you talk to them. And even though the message sometimes doesn't resonate as far as, you know, they want to spit it out. It's okay. It's you. And it's, and it's a lot better than anything that, that I grew up on with Tony and you grew up with back in the day. It was some screaming and hollering and spitting. And, yeah. you know, I just figured out, you know, I wasn't going to convince anybody of, anything that way 
but if you can get through them and break through and give them something in their everyday life that they can relate to, then you can connect. And I think Brock already has that ability and uh, can't wait to see it. But no, I haven't. I haven't said, hey, this is what I said. You should say something like this. Wow. Okay. So now now I got to ask Brock, where did where did this come from? Been practicing behind the scenes, just watching your dad. Like, where did your promo skills come from? Because clearly, this is something that's like, whoa, exciting. No, I don't. I don't practice. You won't see me in the mirror or anything. I just most of the time I don't know it's happening, which is probably a good thing. So I don't have time to think about it and get in my own head or anything. So I just try and think of a couple things that I want to get across. I've always had. I've always tried to use a bigger, a wider vocabulary. So I think that's an asset. So I think I try punctuating those go homes with those words. And yeah, it's not, I think just watching, I don't know if it's through osmosis or subconsciously, but I think just being around him my whole life and then watching old clips, I don't know if I pick up the same flavor almost. I've heard that a couple of times, but yeah, I don't have any, any game plan or rhyme or reason or anything. Like he was saying for the uh, StarCast, I was sitting there and they just said, have you done anything like this before? I was like, no. I'm like, all right, well, we'll we'll let you know. Just keep talking until we say stop. And I went on probably, I don't know, he can verify this, probably 20, 30 minutes. They were just asking me questions about, you know, the history of Jim Crockett and all that. And it's something I think it was good because it's something I was interested in and I knew and I loved. And I just went on and it, like he said, everybody was in there and they were kind of silent. And I was like, oh, I just shit the bed huge. <laughs> and they were like, no, that was like, have you ever done this before? And I was like, no, I've never done anything. Like, I was really good. And I thought they were just lying to me, but I guess it was all right. I don't know where that clip is now or where the whole thing is. But yeah, if y'all go back and look at that, maybe you can understand a little bit of the flavor that I bring on promos. I, it, it goes back to what I've always said, and Arn, you can agree or disagree. I think you would agree. As far as promos are, are concerned, and, and even pro wrestling, uh, your wrestling skills, but as far as promos are concerned, you either got it or you don't. Right, yeah. And, and you can get better, obviously, but those who have it, have it. That's the way it was when you first started, I think. And uh, you get better and you learn, but you have those promo skills that are innate to you, Right. It helps to go to the ring and kick the curtain open. And to you, in your mind, you're going to war. And it's 100% real. And it's real in your head. It's real in your eyes. I can tell a guy that's walking down to the ring if he's ready. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, Tony, that, that I was always mindful and respectful over, even though I would zing you occasionally, it's, you know, it's been your pleasure. Mm -hmm. I appreciated your professionalism and I didn't, I knew not to step on you. You were going to either make me look really, really good or really, really bad. And you're a professional out there to do a job. So many times I see guys that don't utilize that time they have. You're in the ring with Tony Giovanni, for God's sakes. He's the voice of the last 30 years or more. Guys that would just let you lead them if they would, and get to the points other than go off on a tangent on their own and get lost. Right. And, and one thing that, that just bothers me, and I'll just say it, when a guy takes a mic away from you and starts walking around the ring, going into business for himself, what does Tony Giovanni do? I waddle out of the ring. 
stands there with his hand on his putt. Mm-hmm. And that's such a waste <laughs> of time. Right. It's such a waste of uh, resources. Guys, please let this man lead you. He knows what we're trying to, to get across. Let him lead you. Let him help you. Let him make you a star. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I never have a problem with guys taking the microphone from me. You know, you know how I am. I'm just there to try to help them. So if they wanted to take the microphone, but I get what you're saying, Arn. Let me uh, get to this question, uh, Arn, and then Aubrey, you can pick up on the next one. When you first came to AEW, how did you first hear about AEW, and how were you approached about coming on board? Um, I was like everyone else, you know, just kind of catching it through the grapevine and social media and, hey, these guys. And then I was, you know, already doing some stuff with Conrad and found out about the big show in Chicago. And I was kind of hearing about stuff just like a fan would, because in my mind, with Tony Hunter going to do some appearances. And other than that, I was done. I was retired. I was going to have to take another route with Brock. I get a call from, lo and behold, Cody Rhodes. And uh, he said, you know, Dubs, he always called me Dubs. <laughs> Don't ask me, hey. And he said, we got something special going on here, man. We got some some young guys that you've never seen or don't know who they are probably, but there's some real gun-ho people. We got a hell of a crew assembled. Aubrey, you would have been one of those that I discovered upon walking in the door that everything just had a different feel to it. And he said, I want you to come up and, you know, just kind of be backstage at this first show and, you know, see what you think and all that. And, da, 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 da. and I said, well, yeah, I, I can do that. And I just, for the first time in a very, very long time, I was in a wrestling environment that it was okay to be a pro wrestler, number one. Number two, it was okay to smile again and walk around and bullshit with some of the guys that you knew. It went back to the territory days almost, and it was a bunch of young guys. But I I saw these guys, man, bending over backwards and jumping through hoops for the audience. I just kind of got a feel that this this is a different deal, totally. It was refreshing. I I love when people say, like, refreshing and new and different and finally being able to just kind of be open and and enjoy wrestling for what it is. We're talking to Arn Anderson and Brock Anderson here on AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey, it's time to talk about lifestyles, and it's time to talk about how my life has changed for the better thanks to Athletic Greens. I think I've mentioned to you before, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it's well known that I take a lot of supplements. I feel that at my age, I need to supplement my life. And at one time I was taking, and count them, Lois and I were talking about it, you're taking so many capsules. You're taking so many soft gels. Yeah, I was. 27 different supplements I was taking. I mean, you're taking a lot, but you really care about your health. You're on the road all the time. Right. you got to really focus on your gut right. health. It's a daily routine that you need to build in. And I know AG1 from Athletic Greens just makes it super easy. I wasn't taking 27 supplements, but I was taking a couple that I've gotten to actually remove from my day-to-day routine because AG1 has 75 different nutrients that just help me feel healthier. Take AG1 in the morning, right before I start my day. It makes me feel great. It makes me feel, puts energy in my life. And it's only one scoop in water. 
And we've talked about this before. It tastes wonderful. It tastes wonderful. A lot of the supplements you take, yeah, a lot of supplements go, ah, but this tastes great. Absolutely. A lot of them are garbage. They just like, you, you, just, you don't want to drink it. It's hard to build a daily routine around something that just isn't tasty. But I actually look forward to drinking AG1. It's a great, great beverage. It just makes me feel so healthy. It's wonderful. Again, like I do the same thing. One scoop in water, a little bit of the vitamin D, and it's just absolutely fantastic. It's a comprehensive solution. It's what you need for your supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving away a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets. I keep these in my suitcase constantly so I can take AG1 on the road. You get five free travel packets with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash AEW unrestricted. That's athleticgreens.com slash AEW unrestricted. Check it out. Buy it. Drink it. It's delicious. This is AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey and Tony talking to the Anderson family, both Arn and Brock here today. Very, very exciting. Brock being, you know, the biggest up and comer and, and Arn being the huge legend that he is. It's been an awesome conversation. So Brock, we we're just talking a little bit about hearing about AEW and Arn checking it out and all this sort of stuff. When did you first get approached about AEW or coming around or how did that whole conversation go? So you got to backtrack a little bit. I knew since 12 years old, this is what I wanted to do. Once I graduated high school, I had, I looked at them and I was looked at my parents. I was like, this is what I want to do. There's no point in me going to college. If I got to go to another company, if I got to go to Japan, I don't know. That immediately got ixnade. <laughs> don't ever bring that up again. <laughs> go get your education. And then we'll double back to this when you got that piece of paper in your hand. So I went and did that. Graduated December 19 from uh, East Carolina. And then January 2020, I was like, all right, when you start rolling, started training. I was training here in Charlotte with uh, Lodi from WCW. He's got a school about 15 minutes up the road. Went in there two, three times a week for about a year. I think somehow Cody, just in their conversations between him and dad, had figured out what I was doing when I was training keeping uh, track of my progress. And I guess he told him anytime he wants to come up, just have a tryout. And he's like, all right, when he's ready. So I think maybe February, 2021, he was like, I, I think you're ready. So this was COVID Jacksonville. So it was different. It was, y'all know, it was, I walked in. It was a different feeling that dailies was a different feeling of doing TV. It was pretty surreal. And I had a tryout match with John Schuyler, who y'all know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was nerve-wracking because everybody was out there. This is when Cody was still doing like the classes in the afternoon. So everybody was out there. I remember Cash was out there, Cash Wheeler. I remember I think Hobbs was out there. A bunch of there was roster guys out there. So it was probably fifty people out there watching me. Right. When I usually had five people watching. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. <laughs> and I don't know if I just exceeded their expectations because their expectations were so low, but I got a pretty good feedback from uh, everybody. Everybody seemed, I think Cody came up to me and said, we can have that match on dark tonight if you want and signed that day. And it was just, it all happened so fast. I can't remember really any details other than that. It was just boom, 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 but it, it was nuts. And then from there I was rocking and rolling. You also went on to train uh, with QT and Cody at the Nightmare Factory, right, Sam? Yes. So I signed in February of 2021, and then 
I think they were just waiting to figure out what to do with me. So in that meantime of about six months, I would go down to uh, Nightmare Factory in, in Atlanta mm-hmm. and I'd roll around with QT and I can't say how good a teacher QT is. Real old school. Yeah. He's basic. The way he explains things makes perfect sense. He just relates thing in a very understanding manner. I'd go down, roll around with them some. I had a couple. They did like their dark classic matches they would tape for their show. Did a couple of those. Great place to train. That's that's it. Oh, I remember during these times that they were going and to Atlanta and going to school and all that stuff. Now he had started coming to TV, and that was every week. That kind of cuts down on a little bit of your availability to go here and there. The fact that he was, you know, they wanted him coming to all the TVs and just basically sitting there and, and watching the machine and how things work. I mean, you, you can gain a lot. You can learn a lot what to do and a lot of what not to do watching match after match after match. And no disrespect to anybody, but you've got to sit there in this business one of the biggest learning tools is be able to sit in front of a monitor, watch a match, and when something doesn't feel right, figure out why it didn't feel right to you and go to it through the head of a talent and go through it through the head of a fan who sometimes look at things differently and sometimes they look at things the same. And sometimes we look at something and go, boy, that sucks, and the roof will come off <laughs> and you start going well, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Oh, shit. Of course I am. <laughs> maybe there was another reason they popped. Well, yeah. And like to that point, I was didn't even think of that. So we're going to TV every week from February to June till I debuted. Remember, we would do the two shows. So I was out there from Dynamite all the way till 3 a.m. when we finished doing darts. And I watched every single match. I sat out there, watched, saw something I did like, something I didn't like. It was a good tool to learn. Seeing like, okay, there's that and that. And they're working in front of nobody on those tape shows. And I was like, oh, okay. And it almost got to the point after about four months of me just sitting out in the crowd, not having a match, that everybody's like, all right, what's what's your deal, man? Like, are you working here or not? Like, it's starting to get a little fishy. <laughs> you know, you got to give them credit. Tony Khan, mastermind this deal. Well, okay, all the extra talent when they're not working, go out and be a crowd. And let me tell you something, taking bumps in an open air arena in February Mm. is painful. Yeah. Even those 25 or 40 or however many people that were doing double duty and becoming audience members made it so much that reaction of just that few people made all the difference in the world. He kept people working through the pandemic. People didn't get way behind that. You know, needed to be out there every week. It was just a brilliant move. So we got to give him credit. You know, Brock was watching as a fan and he was clapping when you're supposed to and he was booing when you were supposed to. But mostly it was just helping the product, you know, in his own way that was paying dues because it was freezing out there some of those Wednesdays. I don't know the talent realized how important what they were doing was during that time. It gave us an atmosphere that we really didn't have. Uh, and it helped out a great deal, as as Brock, as you know, it, it really did. Uh, Arn, I want to uh, do a kind of a little about face here. You grew up in Rome, Georgia. You always wanted to be a wrestler. Is that true? Yes. Uh, it's, it's a long and storied history of how you got from where you were starting to the studios and TBS where you became a big star. Take us through that journey, kind of an abbreviated journey of that. 
as you know, the business was something else entirely. Right. It was a closed society. It was a bit of a cult. Right. There was no, there was no one that you could walk up to and ask, or there was no yellow pages where you flipped to and went, okay, want to be a wrestler? Call, dial 1-800-THIS. Right. You had to know somebody who would like, it's like a gypsy thing. They would grandfather you in. Mm-hmm. You know, we started off working with Ted Allen. You know, I met him running laps around the stadium that I played high school football in after I was working out one day. And it's same day that the Georgia championship wrestling was in town. Mm-hmm. And as I was leaving, he was pulling up and I recognized him from TV and I went up, excuse me, sir. I, I, my name is, you know, Marty Lundy. I just want you to know, I love what you do. And I don't know how to ask it, but other than just ask it, how would a guy like me, you know, do what you do? Now, if that would have been me and the role reversal, I'd have went something like, well, you can't do what I do, dipshit. Beat it. <laughs> but he wasn't that way. He was, well, hey, you know, you know you're a big guy. You know, give me some backgrounds. Wrestling high school. Yes, sir. Played football. Yes, sir. Da, da, da. So, well, let me give you my number and you come up with uh, 500 bucks and I'll work out with you. Well, I thought it was like, no, come on. Yeah, it's a, it's a scam. That is, it can't be anyone to rob me. But what? But what do you do? He says, "I'll meet you." Okay, da da da. Somewhere I got a ring set up. You drive down to Cartersville a couple times. Long story short, after about eight or ten training sessions, believe it or not, he got got me booked on Atlanta TV just to go down and get throttled to do a job. Right. Get flattened, tackling dummy. Mm-hmm. And I went back through the curtain and I just went, even though I had gotten absolutely nothing in the match, right? nothing. I got my entrance and that was off TV. <laughs> and then I got my exit limping horribly. And they said, okay, we'll use you back next week. The next week, Bob and Brad Armstrong were the opponents. Okay, And uh, I got to work with them uh, with another partner. And for some reason, Bob just said, What's your history? Da 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 da. Where are you from? Rome, up the road. He was from, you know, we're kind of neighbors. He was from Marietta. So Brad will do a little something for you, like just a little bit, so he can give me a tag. Well, I didn't even know that he was going to have Brad sell a little bit. Not for me. I thought he was doing it for me. He was going to do do it for the match, <laughs> right? Because unless you got a little heat, what come back from what? There is no comeback, right? So it was all done. Long story short, he let me do some stuff. It went well. He said, "Hey, man, you know." Well, what are you doing? Are you out here trying to get some work? What are you trying to do? I said, you got a job? I said, well, yes, sir. I cut meat in the grocery store and I'm training after, you know, in the afternoons. Oh, okay. Well, I had a gig for about three weeks down in Pensacola. I'm the booker there. I could have used you, but I know you're not going to quit the job. Now, keep in mind, cutting meat, I was assistant market manager at a grocery store. May seem foolish or stupid or less than, but let me tell you something. In Rome, Georgia, that was a pretty high-paying job, and there weren't a lot of them. And I said, well, I'll quit. No, God, don't do that. No, no. be honest with you, Mr. Armstrong, I, I didn't aspire to be a meat cutter growing up. I want to do what you do. Okay, so he used me for three weeks. When the three weeks was over, he says, well, time's up. You know, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'll just, I don't know. He said, let me send you out to Bill Watts to do two TVs. Went out there, Bill Watts used me a couple of times. He went, hey, I can use you underneath. Go home and get your clothes and come back. Five months there, they sent me to Atlanta to work for Ole, 
JYD gave me a plug to Bill Watts. He said, ah, <laughs> Bill, he looks just like Ole, Megan Menendez. Well, JY, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant, JY. He says, We'll do that. So I walk in. Ole looks at me and he goes, Damn, you do look like me. <laughs> so I don't know how to take that. But <laughs> I was in his office, so something worked. Matt Bourne and I had a run. I left there. I went back to Pensacola for 14 months. Rick Flair came down. I met him, drove him around while he was down there. That was, you know, some people thought it was a curse. I thought it was a blessing to drive the world champion around. Right. I'm going to get you booked in, in Charlotte and you got something, you know, da, 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 da. Jimmy's looking for some talent. So he got me booked in 85. That's when I saw Tony Giovanni for the yeah. first time. Mm. How about that? Yeah. And uh, it, as you know, Tony, back in those days, man, we were doing those market spec promos every Wednesday morning. All day. And all day long. And if you mess it up, do it again. Mm -hmm. And man, that's and you were personalizing the town. You were personalizing your match. You were talking about everything that made it their show. When you, you know, the syndicated, when you watch that show, it would be talking about the Marriott, the Gold's Gym, this and that and the other. And you learned to put details into your promo, things that are going to wake them up. Oh, God, they're going to be there. Oh, okay. They're working out where? Well, gosh. And it made them feel like they had their show. And you learn so much doing promos that way and talking about the matches and the specifics of your opponent, learning to put your opponent over, which is a lost art. Boy, it sure is. It was just things that you were, that we learned. And man, we went on the horseman ride. I give you credit, Tony, because it's absolutely true. You pointed out to me what I just said mm -hmm. about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I really didn't even think of it being a moniker. I was just taking a Bible verse and applying it to what we do. And you walked over and went, Jesus, Arn, you just named you guys. Mm -hmm. That was a moment in history uh, that is absolutely real. Had he not said that? We might have just skipped over it and moved on. Damn. And I don't, I haven't, I haven't received a fucking dime for the horseman. Well, I'll go you one better than that. Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> I had to buy the freaking trademark to get a uh, pro wrestling team posted. There you go. All right. Let's go. Let's come back with more with Brock and Arn. A lot of stories, a lot of things to talk about. I want to talk about Brock, about his decision to keep that Anderson name when we continue on Unrestricted. AEW Unrestricted continues. Uh, Tony and Aubrey with you talking to Arn and Brock Anderson. Brock, I would imagine that keeping the Anderson name was like uh, a no-brainer. Of course, yeah. Brock Lundy probably was. He'll tell you, Marty Lundy. <laughs> Lundy's not a super marketable name. No, I guess not. And there's such a long lineage of, you know, you got Gene, you got Lars, you got Ole, you got all these Andersons such a great lineage and i think it's not hard to tell that i'm my dad's kid just genetics wise right you blessed me with this beautiful head of hair right really <laughs> i don't think anybody would have been buying brock mcgillicuddy anderson was a no-brainer you know you mentioned that you wanted to go right into wrestling mm -hmm. but you went to east carolina you got your uh degree yes sir and of course i've known your mom forever and when you told her that you wanted to be a wrestler, did you tell mom and dad, do you remember that moment you told mom and dad together 
or you just told dad first and then dad told mom, did you approach mom with it? And what did, what did Aaron have to say? I don't ever really remember having like a flat out sit down conversation. Mm -hmm. I think I was started asking questions like specific questions that the average viewer wouldn't ask. We would be sitting. So growing up in a wrestling house, you watch all the wrestling. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, whatever, whatever day they had it on, we would watch it. It would at least just be background noise at the very least when we were eating dinner. And if I saw something, you know, I'd ask dad or I'd be like, what would you think of that? Or like, should he have done that? Or how could he have made that better? Just specific things. Or I'd hear things on podcasts about back in the day. I'd be like, what about this guy or that guy? Like he would hesitate when he's like, why are you asking that? Or what's, <laughs> what's your angle here? And I would just be like, I'm just curious, just curious. And I think finally he had to ask me one day. His recollection of me asking him is different than mine. I don't ever remember a sit down and asking him. I think my mom, I know she didn't want me to be in the wrestling business, but I think she knew that there was a strong possibility. Right. She never discouraged it, but she never encouraged it. Just being a mother and worried about my safety wasn't that she didn't want me to be happy or anything. It's just she's one of the few wives that has been around the entire duration of uh her husband's career. So she's seen everything in this business. So she knows how dangerous it can be, what bad habits can happen. So just from that perspective, she, I think she was not gung ho about it. Right. I think my dad was probably 30% about it. He never discouraged it, never forced it on me though, either. Right. Uh, what's your degree in? Uh, business management. I figured that was, that was safe considering I didn't want the thing in, to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> figured that that was a good blanket that covered a wide area i don't know if you realize but the older you get you'll realize that the degree is more important than any bump you'll take yes you sir realize that don't you oh, okay very good now go ahead I'll i i always feel like it's one of those like it's either communications or business management like those are the two go-to oh, yeah. but at the end of the day like i kind of wish i had gotten either a business management or a communication just because i'm like oh man that would so work now back when i was 22 hell no now that i'm 35 oh my god i wish i had all that yeah all right. I want to go back, just a complete detour. One of my favorite moments, and I know one of the fans' favorite moments from AEW is Arn's Glock promo. And, <laughs> and how great this was, how much it resonated with the audience, the response after with the t-shirts and all that. Arn, well, talk about that day and that promo a little bit. Being Cody's coach and Cody being squeaky clean and you know let you know pretty quickly that he wants to do the right thing he wants to be a role model and all the things that i had never gave a flip about i didn't give a shit about public opinion i let you know on promos you know yeah take it and put it where it belongs flush it down to the sewer system up until that time i had not been able to be the arn anderson of 1986 i used to say stuff like that all the time, the WCW days, all the time. You just couldn't curse. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to grab the audience, say something that they would go, what did he say? Did he really say that? Something that just will shove you out of your chair. It's like going to sit down and somebody pulls a chair out from under you for about two seconds. You may not fall all the way down, but you'll do some mighty stupid shit standing up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Cody kept saying, well, what are you going to talk about? And we were pushing 
the way the angle was going, I was wanting him to toughen it up. Hey, you don't have to do what's expected of you. You don't have to please the kids. You're not going to disappoint the kids. You want to make the kids happy. Start winning. And and the story was kind of leaning that way. And we had them teeter-tottering. And uh, I had everything put together except the one thing that was going to shake the tree. And he was either going to fall out of it or he was going to hang on and crawl down and go, okay, I get it. That kind of popped in my head. And I... <laughs> I really didn't have that line before we went out there. And if you look at Lee's face, when I said that, (laughs) his dentures fell out. (laughs) And he didn't catch them before they hit the floor. (laughs) And it was, if you look at Cody, he couldn't believe it either. So we came back through Gorilla and I looked and Tony is always in his chair. Mm -hmm. Tony Cod, when the show's on, Tony wasn't there. And I went, uh oh, <laughs> I just got this wash that came over me. It just was like, oh, you're in trouble. He's not there. He, that's not good. And I guess Aaron, who was watching at home, went, oh, God, I hope he got permission to say that. You yeah. can't say that. <laughs> you know, the, because the promos had been sanitized with, with WWE, it was PG product. Right. Telling the guy you're going to spill his brains all over the concrete's a little snug. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know. I just came back through the hall and all this young talent was on looking at me like, oh my God, you just buried a bunch of kittens in the sand and ran over them with a, hop, <laughs> with a hopper tiller. <laughs> and it just, hey, it just blew up. It just took off. But it was me being me. Yeah. And it was so different from anything that they had heard. And, and it really was, it was. Well, I guess it was disturbing to some people. Well, it was, uh, was Vinnie John Anderson. And I know Vinnie John Anderson because I held the microphone for most of them. Some of the great Vinnie John Anderson interviews, the world on, on a national level never saw that we did in Wednesday, like he talked about, Arn, back in the studios at Jim Crockett Promotions or back in the makeshift studios in the garage at Jim Crockett Promotions. We did that. It reminds me of one that you don't even remember that you said, I'm sure. Cause I remember your stuff better than you do. And this never aired because, uh, Jackie Crockett didn't allow it to air. Someone stole a title from you or stole a title from Tully or somebody by hitting them with the belt or something. And I brought in Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson said, let me get this straight. If I take a two by four and hit the president over the head with it, I'm going to become the president of the United States. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jackie Rocket went, time no. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. cut. We cannot threaten to press the United States with a two by four on TV. <laughs> that was Vinnie John Anderson. There's so much more, but that's the one I remember. Uh it was just freaking classic. So the Glock <laughs> didn't surprise me at all. But but what exactly was TK's reaction to it? Well, he came back and this is what he said. I said, Tony, I hope that was all right. He said no, no, we're good. We're good. He said, I talked to the guy at TNT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what saved my ass, I guess. Thank God. There was, must have been someone that was really in tune to the product or had some stroke or something who knew me. He said, you know what? If it had been anybody else, it would have been a different story. But for him, that's Benny John Anderson. He can get away with it. Right. So that support from whoever that came from, thank you. Yeah. Damn. That's wild. Yeah. I want to go back 
uh, was said, I think, in our first segment, referencing StarCast and Pillman and all this sort of stuff. But Brock, you get to do like signings and appearances with your dad. Mm-hmm. So what's it like to be on the road with your dad and get to work with him as much as you do? It has probably become my favorite part of being on the road. Mm-hmm. Because when you're growing up and your dad's gone from Saturday to Wednesday, and then he comes home and sleeps one whole day, he's got to pack Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get a whole lot of time with him. And I understood that he was working and that he was grinding. But, you know, sometimes when he's missing birthdays, when he's missing Christmas, sometimes Thanksgiving, all these holidays, when you're getting a call from your dad on your 11th birthday because he's on a 10 day tour in the Philippines, you know, that's not it's not normal. Some people, a lot of people don't understand that. So having him guide me through this journey and be there whenever I need him has been a blast. It's been he's been my dad. He's been my coach. And leaning on him is by far my favorite. It's tough because I love this business. But when you can't, when he comes home and he's been, like you said, he's been on the road five days and you say, hey, dad, can we go outside and throw a baseball? And he's like, he looks at his hand and he says, son, I, I can't throw the baseball because the toll it has taken on his body from all these years in the business. He can't throw a baseball with his kid. And I know that tore him up. Right. But it's hard for a kid. So when he can do this and when he can bring this and the knowledge he brings to this, it makes up for anything that happened back in the day. It's awesome. I'm I'm getting a little emotional now thinking about it. But it's been a blast. Like I said, it's my favorite part of being on the road, being with him, traveling with him, waking up five o'clock in the morning, go to the airport, wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, very, very well said. I get it, man. I really do. Remember that business degree. That's the most important thing you got. Yes. Uh, one final thing to lighten the mood here before we have to go. <laughs> Arn Ole Anderson said, damn it, you do look like me. Uh, Stacy, our uh, producer, put this in our list of questions, so I'm going to throw it out there because it's a loaded question. You have a favorite story about Ole Anderson. Oh, <laughs> uh, Ole was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much across the board, and that included his partner that was driving him to all the towns and doing all the stuff. So this is just one of those things that you don't expect. Yeah, we go into. I want to say it was like a Western season or someplace that had a salad bar in the afternoon. This is in the afternoon before the show. You're not going to go in there and load up, but you're going to have some lunch. And that's going to be the last meal you have till probably midnight. Right. Because after the show, you're traveling to the next town or whatever. So, so we go over to the salad bar and we make our plates and all that stuff, you know, and I put all the goodies that I wanted on there, you know, and it was stacked up pretty high. I guess I ate maybe half of it to three quarters of it. Mm-hmm. He's cleaned his plate now and we get ready to go. And he goes, going to eat that? <laughs> no, nah, man, nah, I'm good. Had enough. No, you're going to eat that. You know, you heard the saying, take all you want, but eat all you take. Yeah. You know, there's people in the world starving. You need to finish that plate. <laughs> I think he's ribbing. Well, he ain't smiling <laughs> and he ain't ribbing. <laughs> Well, I didn't end up eating it, but he really got pissed at me. And that's one of those things for a guy that used to just hag his brains out about everything imaginable. Mm -hmm. So hard to be around, but he really, that bothered him that I was wasting the food. And then I got to thinking about it. 
I guess we're rolling down the road after the show, no talk about it or anything else. And I guess I must have looked at him and went, I'm sorry. <laughs> he goes, sorry about what? And what? Besides the obvious. And the obvious, I still don't know what the obvious was. I said, I, I shouldn't have piled all that food up there. Well, you're a dumbass. <laughs> Won't happen again. I guess I shouldn't have just thrown it out there mm. hours and hours later, but it's just one of those things you didn't expect. The Ole Anderson stories are incredible. Most we can't tell, but I'm like you, Arn. I'm so glad that Ole Anderson was part of my development in wrestling. Just like Brock is so honored that his father is part of his development in wrestling. It all goes full circle, doesn't it? The one thing people ask me about, what did you learn from different partners and all that stuff? And what was the best incarnation of the horseman and all that? You had to be on the apron or in the ring watching Ole Anderson work right. to truly appreciate the credibility that he brought to the business. Everything he did was 100% legitimate. Yep. And if you didn't learn anything sitting there watching him pound the piss out of Ricky Morton <laughs> and making guys fight him back right. to the point to where, you know, finally he would go down. But you, I learned from him, make a baby face earn what he gets. Yeah. Don't just get hit with one shot and go flop it around the ring. Make him earn it. Make it a contest. Right. And I learned so much you know, being his partner really did. Oh, and yeah. All right, guys. It's been great. Appreciate y'all having us. Yeah. This was wild. Yeah. This has been awesome conversation. It's been deep. It's been funny. It's been the wide spectrum of emotions. And I really appreciate both of you being here today. Thank you so much. Thank y'all for having us. Aubrey, you're groundbreaking. You're doing a great job out there. Keep it up, kiddo. Checks in the mail, Arn. Appreciate it. <laughs> I didn't say I was going to pay you. I'm just going to compliment you. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my check. No, not really. <laughs> We're all not getting those royalties in wrestling. That seems to be the, the way to go. Anyway, you can listen to and follow this podcast, AEW Unrestricted, for free, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can check out the video episodes on YouTube at AEW Unrestricted. Just search it in the little search bar. You can watch Dynamite on TBS Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, 7 central. Rampage on TNT Fridays at 10 9 Central, and of course, AW Dark on Tuesdays, AW Dark on Dark Elevation on Mondays, both of those on YouTube. I am Aubrey Edwards here with my close personal friend, Tony Schiavone. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted. Unrestricted.